0: Some people are going to be completely against it. They will think that horrible things are being done to the animals and they will just think that researchers don't care at all about the animal's well-being. Others will just believe that whatever is done, it's necessary. And they will also think that there are horrible things happening, the result facilities, so that but they will still accept them. And then there is other part of the public that just, they will just trust the researchers and, and believe that everything that is done, it's necessary and, and good and taken care of. And I think it's really necessary that people actually know what's going on
1: animal experimentation has, for a long time, been a hotly debated subject. Millions of animals per year are used in laboratory testing for a variety of reasons, including modeling diseases, toxicology research, pharmaceutical drugs testing, and, in some countries, cosmetics testing. The majority of these animals are rodents, such as rats and mice, but other species, such as insects and worms, fish and amphibians, cats and dogs and even pigs are routinely used. Of course, no animal testing is without controversy, but one group of subjects in particular tends to be particularly divisive. Non-human primates. Perhaps the most historically debated group of animals used in research, primates tend to polarize opinions. But no matter which side you stand on, the argument for why we need to use them and the argument against using them, is fundamentally the same. That they are so very like us. My guest today knows all about that.
0: This time I just look at a a team for the monkey. I just really see how similar they are, how the personalities they have, how complex they are.
1: You're listening to Janire Castellano Bueno.
0: I am a PhD student at Newcastle University. I am doing my research on animal welfare and affective neuroscience. I'm mainly working with laboratory rhesus macaques. My main project really focuses on the long-term welfare of the animals and trying to see what affects their welfare uh, over the years.
1: Janera's interest in primates stems from her concern of them in research laboratories.
0: I've always really enjoyed, I guess, how similar primates, non-human primates were to us. I guess I always want to make sure that we were doing all we could to protect them and make sure that they were okay.
1: So what does she do in her work?
0: I have different projects right now at the same time. One of the projects that we almost finished focuses on the effect of the fluid control that is done to the monkeys. So for many of the experiments, fluid is used as a reward, mainly. Mainly like the uses that they like uh, during the experiments. And to do that, to be able to use them as a reward, then we need to control the amount of fluid that they are given during the day. The amount of water, basically, that they drink during the day in their home cages. So but uh, with my project what I wanted to make sure is that that control of the water is not having a negative impact on their welfare and then other main project that my PhD focuses on is really the the long-term effects of being part of the primate facility so if being there for a long time has an effect if the changes due to husbandry like um, if they have fights it's going to affect them the veterinary procedures like um, health checks that they have is going to have an effect on them or just going out and being uh, with the researchers if it has a negative or a positive effect on their welfare
1: today there are at least in the UK and Europe strong animal welfare laws that protect primates in labs they're considered a very special class of research animal for which you will need special ethical permission and very strong reasoning to use them however that is not necessarily the case for the rest of the world. And it's a relatively recent development.
0: Yeah, so non-human primates have a really unique place in the legislation in many countries, especially in the UK. In the ASPA, in the Animal um, Scientific Procedures Act, they have a special place along with cats and dogs and horses that says that these animals can just be used in research if there is no other option of using another animal. So yeah, they definitely have a special case. And actually, non-human primates are just used, I think the proportion of non-human primates is lower than 0.1%. So even if they are really good animal models, of course, we don't use them all the time.
1: And why is that?
0: There are different reasons. One of them is just that the public is more concerned, and the public is going to obviously affect the decisions that are made in the legislation. And the other reason is that, um, as we know they, that they are more similar to us, we also expect them to suffer more, as we do suffer. So, so we'll have different ethical considerations.
1: Despite, or perhaps because of, their close proximity to humans on the evolutionary tree, primates have been subjected to some of the most horrendous torture in the name of science. In a series of infamous experiments that every psychology undergraduate will be familiar with, Harry Harlow of the University of Wisconsin-Madison separated newborn rhesus monkeys from their mothers and put them in isolation cages where they were faced with a horrifying wire mother, a contraption made from wire from which the baby monkey could take milk, and a marginally less horrifying cloth mother. A similar structure, but this time covered in a comforting cloth. He found that despite the milk coming from the wire mother, the babies still preferred to cling to the cloth mother. Ironically, these brutal experiments were supposed to investigate the nature of love. Despite being shockingly cruel by today's standards, these experiments are still cited in psychological literature for the insights that they gave science into the nature of child development This wasn't the end or even the worst of Harlow's experiments. He and his students created more and more horrifying contraptions that would act as surrogate mothers to the young monkeys. Some would blast cold air on the babies, some would shake violently as they clung to her, and others would even catapult the infant across the cage. The worst of these was what Harlow himself nicknamed the Iron Maiden which would stab the baby with iron spikes as it clung to her. Despite this terrible treatment, the young monkeys would come back to the mother again and again, proving the strength of maternal bonds. There are many more examples of the grotesquely cruel experiments Harry Harlow himself put hundreds of monkeys through, but it would probably make you want to switch this podcast off, so I'll spare you. As recently as 1990, isolation experiments were proposed by a student of Harlow's, Jean Sackett, to study how mental illnesses develop. Keeping social animals such as primates housed singly in cages leads to all manner of issues, such as plucking out their own fur and developing strange habits and disruptions to their social abilities. Sackett recalls in the 1994 book by Deborah Bloom, The Monkey Wars, how his efforts were thwarted by animal rights groups who had risen up in protest of the primate labs and their experiments. Due to public pressure, the National Institutes of Health refused to fund the research. Sackett said to Bloom, it was a perfectly reasonable study and a study I would still like to do, but I believe even the NIH was afraid to approve it. I think there are certain studies you just can't propose anymore. He cited, these far out types, who he believed would kill a researcher eventually. He was referring to the growing number of animal rights activists, either acting independently or having an affiliation with organizations such as In Defense of Animals and PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. As tapes of experiments were leaked to the public, there was growing outrage and concern for the primates being used in labs many protests were held outside of research facilities and occasionally the facilities or even the researchers themselves were attacked although the ethics of the protesters themselves are questionable thanks to the media attention garnered and growing public pressure to improve the welfare of our closest relatives housed in labs ethical standards have been seriously tightened and it's unlikely anyone would have studies like harlow's approved these days so, what exactly goes on in labs today? So, mainly in the
0: UK, and well, I'm really over the world, most of the research that uses non human primates as animal models is toxicology research. So, mainly pharmaceutical research. Apart from that, the main areas are neuroscience, reproductive biology, evolutionary studies, like kin therapy these kind of things. So but the main the main areas are toxicology and neuroscience, by far.
1: But why is it that we need primates for these kind of studies? The main reason is
0: that they are really similar to us. Their phylogenetic proximate to humans makes it easier to use as animal models. In toxicology, they are necessary for some of the last steps of drug testing and for other fields like neuroscience or reproductive biology, we just simply don't have other animals that we can do experiments on. They are the only animals that we have access to really that they have the same frames or reproductive system.
1: And what do modern lab facilities look like? Are primates still kept in isolation?
0: That's a bit tricky because it really depends on the work that they are doing with the animals. In Europe, most of the animals are going to be social housed, so most of them are going to be at least with a pair. They will have someone, because, well, all the evidence shows that being single housed has detrimental impact on the welfare of the animals. But in other countries, they are still single housed, because it's just simply easier to manage them for trials, easier to make them come out of the cave, or yes, if they have to give them some drugs, it's just easier in that sense, or to control if they are okay but there are also many facilities that they have outdoor spaces and they are in groups in big groups in the uk as said most of them are per house or so in three in couples couple of three so it really depends on the type of research that is going on but the
1: minimum in
0: europe is
1: is two so with these updated facilities what are now the main welfare concerns for primates and labs
0: now that some of the factors that were identified as having a negative impact on the welfare of the animal were removed so um, single housing was removed, the enrichment has been increased um, the winning aids, the minimum winning aids has also been increased now the the next step is really to identify which other factors might also be having a negative impact and which factors are having a positive impact on the welfare of the animal so that we can uh, Increase the positive ones, of course, and completely remove or at least decrease the negative ones. But really, the factors that we suspect might be having an impact, negative one at least in the welfare of the animals right now, are going to really depend on the experiments that are done on them. Some of them might just be uh, simply being prolonged time in the laboratory facilities, and others might be more related to uh, individual preferences. Um, So yeah, uh, this is what we are working on right now, and identifying those. At the end, we have to keep in mind that these uh, animals, these non-human primates, are very similar to us. They have very complex social structures and different personalities. So we need to make sure that we are not missing anything uh, in order to ensure that These animals are not just physically healthy, but that they are living um, kind of like the, the best life that they can be
1: living in the animal research facilities. But how could animals, particularly primates, kept in captivity in a lab ever be regarded as normal, healthy animals? How would we know if they're not normal or healthy in this context?
0: This is the big question, isn't it? All the research facilities have a big veterinary team that will take care of the animal and ensure that they are healthy, any small issue will be reported and taken care of as fast as possible. But of course, in terms of more psychological well-being and a fated state, this is what uh, us and the welfare scientists that are working on climate welfare are investigating. We are trying to develop the indicators of welfare that will give us an insight into into their welfare, into their affective states. So now that the major welfare issues have been taken care of, with the improvements that have been made over the years, we can really focus on more subtle changes and subtle factors that can be affecting their welfare, uh, so that we ensure that they are not just healthy in terms of physical health, but that they also have a more um, enriched
1: complex pet experience in a facility. So apart from public opinion, are there any other incentives to keep welfare high for animals in labs?
0: They need to improve the welfare so that the data is usable. If if the welfare is not okay, they are going to use more money, more time, and they are not going to be able to, to really translate it to human research.
1: Trevor Poole, of the University's Federation for Animal Welfare, wrote a paper in 1997 entitled, Happy animals make good science. The abstract reads, in this paper, the question is posed whether it is not only better for the animal to be happy, but whether its state of mind may also have the potential to influence the scientific results derived from it. To ensure good science, the animal should have a normal physiology and behavior apart from specific adverse effects under investigation. There is a growing body of evidence from a wide variety of sources to show that animals whose well being is compromised are often physiologically and immunologically abnormal, and that experiments using them may reach unreliable conclusions. On a scientific, as well as ethical grounds, therefore, the psychological well being of laboratory animals should be an important concern for veterinarians, animal technicians, and scientists. So in a nutshell, better welfare for lab animals means less animals used for better and more reliable results, which is good news for everyone involved. I'll let Genere elaborate with a specific example.
0: If you are testing for reproductive biology, you are expecting that drug or that treatment or that therapy to be used in normal healthy women but actually your model suffers from depression, obviously the results are going to be completely biased. They are not going to be useful for the patients that you are actually going to treat with that drug or that therapy. This is the case for most of the research that is done. There are lots of factors that we need to consider for drug testing for for all the clinical trials and if the models that we are using are not actually models of what we think that we are testing, they are not going to be useful. We will need more trials and then we will need more animals, which is not easy because animal research try to especially private research tries to reduce the number of animals used in in all the trials. And it's going to take longer. Then it's going to also increase the money, not just because the testing will take longer time, but also because we will need more help from the pets. We'll need more procedures. And it's just going to be honestly worse for everyone. So if we don't have healthy animal models, then we can't use it for healthy humans. It's just easy as that, treat.
1: It is now well established in the scientific literature that psychological stress has a negative impact on physiological health. Animals in small cages who don't have access to enrichment materials such as toys to amuse themselves or social animals that are housed in isolation will never be good models for human health outcomes as whatever drug or chemical you're testing will be interacting with the system of an already sick animal. But of course, here lies the biggest problem with animal testing in general. No matter how close they are to human beings, they simply are not humans and they are therefore not perfect models for our biological systems. In a perfect world, we would be scrapping animal testing altogether, not only to say that we are moving forward as a more ethical society, but to push for better and more accurate science. Of course, without a big drive from the public, people like you, the listener, as an informed individual, it's unlikely to happen anytime soon. Unfortunately, Much of science is not exactly accessible for the majority of the public, leading to polarised opinions based on emotions or conservative views based on very little actual facts and knowledge.
0: Some people are going to be completely against it. They will think that horrible things are being done to the animals and they will just think that researchers don't care at all about the animal's well-being. Others will just believe that whatever is done, it's necessary and they will also think that there are horrible things happening. The result is that they will still accept them. And then there is other part of the public that they will just trust the researchers and and believe that everything that is done, it's necessary and and good and taken care of. And I think it's really necessary that people actually know what's going on. I think private research is always like a bit mysterious, really hidden from the public. And I think we need both sides. We need some critical opinion of it because obviously most researchers are going to be good, but if they are not, those cases need to be reported. And we need to advance as well on how how we how we take care of the animals. What was okay 20 years ago is not okay now. So we need some of the pressure of the, of the public so that we, we make sure that we are looking for alternatives so that we don't have to use primates. And at the same time, we need them to know that we are doing the best we can right now with the resources we have to actually take care of the animals. And actually that great apes are not allowed to be used or in the UK, they, they can't be used for cosmetics, for example. I think it's just like important that the public knows re- the reality of primate research so they can form their own opinion.
1: Some alternatives are already in development and being used by scientists. From a review on animal testing alternatives in 2015, here are some examples. Computers can help to understand the various principles of biology. Specialized computer models and software programs help to design new medicines. Computer generated simulations are used to predict the various possible biological and toxic effects of a chemical or potential drug candidate without animal dissection. Use of in vitro cell and tissue cultures, which involves growth of cells outside the body in a laboratory environment, can be an important alternative for animal experiments. The cells and tissues from the liver, kidney, brain, skin, etc are removed from an animal and can be kept outside of the body in suitable growth medium for a few days to several months or even a few years. Brewing yeast is the most popular and important model organism due to its rapid growth, ease of replica plating and mutant isolation, dispersed cells, well-defined genetic system and high versatile DNA transformation system. Yeasts can be grown in solid or liquid culture and isolated as colonies derived from a single cell on solid media. The generation time is very short, about 90 minutes, hence it is very easy to grow a large population and analyze it. However, probably the breakthrough that most scientists will get excited about is known as organ on a chip. According to a group of researchers writing in Biomedical Engineering Online, the organ on a chip, or OOAC, is in the list of the top 10 emerging technologies and refers to a physiological organ biomimetic system built on a microfluidic chip. Through a combination of cell biology, engineering and biomaterial technology, the microenvironment of the chips simulates that of the organ in terms of tissue interfaces and mechanical stimulation. This reflects the structural and functional characteristics of human tissue and can predict response to an array of stimuli including drug responses and environmental effects. With such exciting technological advances, it's hoped that soon these imperfect animal models will be a thing of the past.
0: I would love to believe that, that we would find replacements to animal models and especially for primate models. But yeah, realistically, I don't think we are there yet. I don't think in 10 years we will be able to just replace completely the animal research and primate research. Ideally, I think the best we can hope for is to improve the facilities that we have, increase the resources that are, that are given to animal welfare scientists so that um, all research facilities have someone there that makes sure that it's done the best that they can look. I mean, I think in the UK, we are quite lucky that lots of advancements are being done. And I think uh, many other places in the world are still a step behind the UK. And it would be ideal if we could have some data from those other places when, when they move forward to see how that changes and how that improves. And of course, it goes without saying that we need, we need to invest a lot more on alternatives to animal research. There have been a lot of promising progress in the latest years, but we need a lot of work to get to a point where we can completely remove and replace animal research with these alternatives.
1: So what can we do as consumers? There's quite little we can do when it comes to drugs testing, but as far as toxicology is concerned, in many parts of the world, old formulas or combinations of chemicals that have been previously safety tested do not require further testing. Unfortunately, consumers tend to encourage the development and marketing of new products, which in turn results in more animal testing. So perhaps being mindful in our spending on household products, sticking to well-established products instead of being dazzled by the new products on the shelves, or even using alternatives to chemical cleaning products, such as vinegar and baking soda for example, can help reduce the incentive for companies to continue to come up with unnecessary new products to drive sales, which will require more animal tests behind the scenes. If a manufactured product is unavoidable, do a quick internet search on the company and check if they support animal research or only use long established formulas those who don't support animal research will normally shout about it from the rooftops so it will be quite easy to find out just like previous episodes where we discussed consumer eating habits the pathway to improving the well-being of animals is being more mindful in our shopping and spending habits that's all for this week Primate research is a fascinating topic and I hope to discuss it in more detail in a later episode. My thanks to De Castellano-Bueno, PhD candidate at Newcastle University, for giving us a great insight into what really happens behind closed doors at a primate research facility in the UK. Thanks for listening. Today's show was written, researched, narrated and produced by me, Catherine Cray. Mustafa al Nasari was the technical assistant, and Claire Cray is our executive producer. The music was provided by Nature's Eye at Pixabay. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search for The Animalistic Podcast. Until next time, stay safe, be kind.